I did that just now. Let's see. Stephen, Stephen, would you grab me a napkin? A, a napkin? I just spilled coffee all over the place. That's a great way to start, isn't it? And that's all going to be on the web too. So everybody that is listening, because people are listening to our sermons online. It's the craziest thing. It's really awesome. Um, so for all of you at home, I just spilled all over my little table here. Would you guys grab your bulletin? Because I, I want to encourage you this morning to use this in a few minutes. So just make sure you got one of these. And if you need a pen, um, you might want to grab one now um, and have that out because we're going to do something slightly different. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. We'll just wipe that up. <clears throat> so uh, as Annie said, I was sick all week. I think I got like a flu and was on a couch all week. So I'm saying that not as an oh, woe is me moment, but uh, as a, I wrote a sermon while I had the flu <laughs> that was laying on the couch. And this is what you get today. And yeah. And to top all that off, we're going to be starting a, a, new, a new series which it's pretty obvious what we're talking about here, the parables of Jesus. Um, as Annie said, that our small groups have been uh, studying parables in community, our, our young adults group, and then two small group Bible studies. And between those three groups, that's going to comprise a little more than a, maybe a quarter of the church. And so I thought, you know, in our world, there's so many things being talked about, right? You turn on the news and there's not just one news topic, but 50 news topics. And then if you're going to school, you're studying something, you go to work, you have a different conversation. Then you go to Bible study and you have a conversation on parables. And then you come to church on Sunday morning, we're talking about something totally different. We've got so many things that we're learning all at the same time. I thought, hey, well, why don't we just combine some of these things and have a community-wide conversation about the parables of Jesus? Good idea? Okay. So how this series is going to go, though, is that I, I'm going to be, obviously, I'll be preaching a number of them, but then we have our preaching team, Audrey and Annie and, and Heidi, will be preaching as well. And here's how it works. I said, so Jesus was speaking in parables, and there's, you know, almost 50 of them between the four Gospels. So choose a parable and preach on it. Whoever goes first gets to choose their parable first. So, ha I'm up here first. And we get to, we're going to mark them off as we go, and they're not necessarily going to be the same parable you study on a Wednesday or Thursday or Monday. Was that Monday morning? My brain is already not working. It might be a different parable, but we're going to be talking about Jesus' parables. The parables are really um, awesome. If you don't know what a parable is or what they are, it's this way that Jesus had of speaking and of teaching where he used stories. And stories are super, super powerful. You guys agree with me on this? Have you, have you ever thought about how powerful stories are? Um, I like movies. Somebody here like movies? And actually, I would even say that maybe just past movies, I like, I like to get all, you know, I don't know, uppity and say I like film. Anybody like film? Yeah, film. I like those movies that move past just entertainment, although I enjoy those as well. They move past entertainment and they move into this realm where they're using art and they're using humor and they're using photography and all of these different skills to bring a story to life. Heidi and I got to, and, and the kids got to watch one just this week, um, and it, it's, it's, it's an older movie. It's called The Secret Life of Mitty. Has anybody seen this yet? Yeah, there's a couple of like half hands. Did anybody think this was like the most amazing movie they'd seen in a long time? I did. I was like, I was blown away by this movie. And it just used, if you haven't watched it, I actually recommend it. It's rated PG. So I can safely say from the pulpit, go ahead and watch it. It's just got a couple of bad words. You'll probably be okay. Okay. I just 
saying. And, uh, and it's, it, it moves this, takes this story of this man whose, whose father died when he was young, and it just stopped him from living, and he began to live in his mind. And so you'll be going through this movie, and all of a sudden it's like going into make-believe. And it is like watching an action movie, you know, ninjas and stuff. It's really silly, and then it comes back to reality. It's a great movie. It takes, it takes beautiful photography, great acting skills. It takes humor, all to tell this story. And that story brings something to life for us. It brings our mind, our body even has physical reactions to that story, and we, we, our souls begin to learn and hear something new. And that's what parables do. They draw a, they engage our mind, they draw a truth forward that our mind, our emotions, and our physical body even can begin to feel, feel and grasp and hold on to. It opens us up to a new story. So Jesus was a master storyteller. I even heard one pastor who was, uh, you know, in his defense, he was very young when he, he said this, but he put it online. He just said, any pastor who is not a master storyteller like Jesus doesn't deserve to be a pastor. I was like, well, that's kind of rude. At the same time, Jesus was a master storyteller. And because story grabs us, because story gets our attention and it helps us understand truth. In fact, in, we're going to be looking at Matthew 13. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 13. It's, it's where in the book of Matthew, Jesus begins to use parables. And in verse 24, it says this. It says, Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. In fact, he did not say anything to them without using parables. So Jesus grew huge crowds of people that would come around to listen to his stories. They were so interesting, so different than anything they'd heard before. It's what actually drew people around. And they would gather to hear these stories. And it says he didn't speak to them any truth without using a parable. What is a parable besides a story? Literally, a parable means to throw alongside. That's like the literal Greek para and able means to throw alongside. It's a short story that throws everyday life alongside eternal truth. Parables use examples that are right in front of us, things that we would see or we would have seen, that we would have heard, that we would have understand as people in the first century, and it throws this eternal truth right alongside it, right next to it, and it helps us to understand truth in a little bit easier way. It helps us to grasp something that is real. But here's the thing, that parables don't always make sense to all of us all the time. In fact, we're not meant to all of us all the time understand every parable. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. The disciples didn't even get his parables. First time he told a parable, they're like, what? What is he even saying? It's like harvesting and wheat. I don't understand. What, it, what, what does this have to do with anything, Jesus? You said the kingdom of heaven is like, what does this have to do with anything? Twice they had to ask him, okay, can you explain that to us? And he says to them, he goes, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. That's in verse 13 of chapter 13. He's quoting the book of Isaiah here. And it, that book, that, that passage in Isaiah, and it, it's both in Isaiah and it's in Matthew. It goes on to say that their eyes and their ears, not just physically, but their spiritual eyes and ears are closed. It even says that the people's hearts are actually calloused. You guys understand what a callous is, right? My daughter came home, uh, Amelia came home just on, on, let's see, Friday, I think it was. The days are all mixed up. But she came home on Friday, she says, look, Dad, I have a callous. And what she meant was she had a blister. 
because she had been hanging on the monkey bars all day long and spinning and spinning and spinning and so much that she had rubbed a blister into her hand. I'm like, oh, sweetie, that's not a blister. Or that's not a, that's not a callus yet. That's a blister. But a blister is going to turn into a callus. And she said, yay! That's strange. You know, most people want soft hands, right? But, you know, people that work hard, that their hands are rubbed hard by their labor. They get hard and thick. And what this passage says is that the people's hearts have become calloused, that the very center of their being is resistant to the rubbing of truth, that it's resistant to the kingdom of heaven coming in because their heart has developed a callous. That callous keeps us safe, right? Keeps us safe from having to be challenged. It keeps us safe from learning. It keeps us safe from having to change from transforming, from being challenged by the idea that there is a God and I'm not Him. Their hearts are calloused. And not only is their hearts calloused, but they've plugged their ears and they've closed their eyes so that they cannot see or hear truth. And so Jesus can't just preach truth to them. He can't just go, all right, here it is. Here's the truth of the day. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Because when he does that, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, right? Yeah, yeah, been there, done that, seen it, heard it, whatever. Their hearts are calloused. They can't receive that truth, so he comes with a parable. Because though they see, they do not see. Though they hear, they do not hear. And all of us are in that boat at one time or another in some way. We have calluses on our hearts, There are truths of this word. There are things that God wants to speak to you that your heart has been calloused by. We callous for so many different reasons. Some of us because of disbelief. Some of us because of addiction. Some of us because of pain and hurt or different things that have gone on in our lives. Some of us just because we've never experienced a truth that's so opposite of what the world says that we can't receive it or hear it. And so Jesus uses a parable because it's meant to shake us. It's meant to wipe a callus off. It's meant to knock the plugs out of our ears or to get us to wake up to what's right in front of us. I like the passage in Ephesians that says, awake, O sleeper. That's what Jesus is doing. That's why we call our young adults group awake. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Hear the word of God. Hear what he has to say to you because this message is not just information, but it is life-changing, life-giving truth. And so the parables are meant to do that, to wake us up, to make us see where our hearts have been hardened, to make us open our eyes and open our ears. And so that's what I want to pray this morning, that as we go into the series on parables, that we would wake up, that our eyes would be opened, that we would even be able to look at our own hearts and see those calluses. So when we come to places where I don't understand this parable, we don't go, this is just nonsense. We look at it and say, hey, how, am, how come I'm blind to what this is saying? How come I'm deaf to what this is saying? How come my heart can't receive this? What does God want to do in me? What is God trying to speak to me? Would you pray with me as we open ourselves to this series? So, Father, we ask that you would wake us up this morning, that our hearts would not be so calloused as to not be able to receive your word. We pray that you would, um, as you say in your word, that you would exchange our hearts, our hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. God, that you would restore in us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and to hear what it is you would speak to us this morning. And God, through these stories, 
that eternal truth would come to us, not just as information, but as life-giving and life-altering stories that set us in a new way. God, we want to be open to you, so open our hearts and our minds this morning. We, we come as open as we can. And so, God, we pray that you would give us grace for the places where we can't seem to be open to you, that you would help us to see where we've held our fists closed or we've tightly shut our eyes, and that you would restore us in those places. God, bring healing this morning through your word, and we pray that your spirit and your gospel would go forth from this place, that it will rest in us and speak through us. In your name, everybody said, amen. All right, so there's sermon number one. It's <laughs> pretty good, huh? We should all just go home now. That's what parables are. Instead of uh, just ending there, though, what I thought we could actually do was maybe look at a first parable. Uh, okay with you guys? And I want to do it a little bit differently today. Okay, we're going to do, do it two ways. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Do you guys know that? So teaching is about either bringing a new idea or concept or clarifying one. Basically, what I just did with parables was I just taught you what a parable was. Preaching is where we take those eternal truths and we speak that and we allow the Spirit to speak through it and to, to supercharge our lives, to challenge us, to, to cause us to open our eyes. It's like shaking somebody and waking them up. That's the difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is clarifying. Preaching is shaking. And so what we want to do this morning is I just taught, and then we're going to have this middle place of what I like to call discovery which is where you look at the word for yourself and see what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, might shake you just a little bit. And then I'm going to preach. Is that, like, you're like, well, you're already preaching, Jamie. I'm like, well, no, I'm kind of doing both, speaking, preaching, teaching, whatever. It's all mixed up. So open your Bibles to Matthew 13 if you haven't yet. And we're going to look, excuse me, at verse, I didn't write it in my notes, verse, it's up here, it's, there it is, verse 45, verse 45, Um, and we're going to look at just, it's just two verses, it's very, very short, and what I'm going to do is read this parable to you, I'm going to read it slowly and out loud, and I want you to take your bulletin, which you've got all these little dot spaces on the back, do you guys know why I gave you the dots? The dots is for those people who hate lines and don't want to be bound by somebody's coloring page. You know, you give me the lines, I'm coloring outside the lines. For those of you who are like that, you can write wherever you want. And for those of you who need some straight lines to write, they're there too, okay? And you can turn it either direction. So we're giving you all kinds of freedom here. You could write sideways, upside down, I don't care. The dots give you that freedom. So I'm going to have you write down what you notice, okay? What you notice about this passage Now, when I say the word notice, here's what I'm thinking about. When Heidi and I were first dating, I noticed everything about her. I was so enamored. I was just like, everywhere Heidi went, there was this holy glow, right? An angelic choir followed her. They still follow her around. Sometimes I don't hear it. But we've been married almost 20 years. (laughs) And every time we got together, I would notice something new. I would notice a way she laughed, or that, oh, you've got, oh, you got a freckle over there, or, you know, and we notice things when we're in love with somebody. The longer we've been with them, we think we've noticed everything about them. The thing is, with people, they're always changing, and with the Word of God, it's the same way. When we first come to it, we notice everything about it. 
And when we've read it a bunch of times, after a while, we say, oh, I've noticed everything there is to notice about this passage. But here's the crazy thing about the Bible. It is living and active, is what Hebrews says. It is living and active, that the Spirit is always speaking to us through it. So God is speaking something new to you today through this passage. And I want you to notice, as though you've read it for the first time, as though this is a lover that you've just started to get to know, and you're falling desperately in love with them. You guys with me on that, what I'm asking you to do? All right, so... I'm going to read the passage slowly, and then we're going to let you just notice. And I'm going to give you about two minutes, and it's going to be really awkwardly quiet. That's okay. And then I'm going to give you a chance to like share some of the things you notice, and then I'll share what I noticed, all right? Here we go. This is called the parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in, searching of, in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The end. I'm going to read it once more. I'll read it a little bit slowly. And I just want you to like notice, circle, highlight, whatever you want to do in your Bible. Write, write it on your bulletin, but note something. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I'm going to give you a minute or two just to notice. Go. I'll give you like 30 more seconds. I'm surprised how many people are like, hmm. So here's the crazy thing. You probably already received your sermon for this morning just now. You probably already heard from God because God speaks through his word. And now that you've read it and you've pondered it and you've noticed that he's probably brought something up for you. Um, So let me hear just from a few of you, very, very short, very brief, you know, 30 seconds or so. It's kind of, Annie said this to me the other day, when you speak in 30 second bits, it's an act of hospitality. It makes space for everybody. So I'm asking you to keep it really brief. uh, But what are some of the things you heard? It's just shout them out. The only thing that satisfied was that pearl in the story. Yeah. What else did you notice? 
He gave up everything, okay? To have the best. What else? Everybody on this side, so, so how about this way? Anybody over this way got anything? He's a simile, like or as. Anybody else? He knew what he was looking for, okay? Anybody else? Like one more. Oh, there's Eliza. Because he sold everything, he was totally committed. So I'm going to tell you how risky it was for me to do that. Because I sat down and I, I read the passage and I did exactly what you did. I just noticed. And I noticed a lot of the same things. And I was like, oh, if I do this, they may just preach my sermon for me and I'll be done. And I'm like, why am I even here? And that's actually good because my goal is to help you have the Bible come alive on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not just Sunday. And so you can do this all the time on your own. But let me segue and say, here's what I noticed. And it's some of the same things you notice. I just want to explain a little bit more and go a little deeper with this parable. I'm going to read it one more time. Ready? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he, that he had and bought it. The first thing I noticed in this text was this word, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. See, the kingdom of heaven for the scriptures is not a place. It's not even necessarily a time. But what it is, it's a way of living in time, in the here and now, that is different than the way the world lives. It's a place where God rules and reigns. And that's not words we use very much in America. We really don't. Um, in places like England, they may understand a little better rule and reign. They have a king or a queen, currently a queen. Eventually, it'll be a king. And that king rules or reigns over the people, which in the olden times, that's a very technical term, in, back in the olden times, when a king ruled or reigned, that meant whatever he said goes. Nobody gets a vote. Nobody, it's not a choice thing. You, you know, what they hoped was that you would choose the king, that the king would be good, that the king would be kind, the king would be generous, and that you would choose to serve and follow that king and to submit yourself to him. That's actually the image of the Bible is that we submit ourselves to this king's rule and reign. And what this is saying is that we're submitted in the kingdom of heaven. All the people who are submitted to God's rule and reign are not just going to live a certain way, but they're going to experience things a certain way. That's what the kingdom of heaven is here. John Caputo is a, is a writer and a blogger. He said this, that the kingdom of heaven is not a time or place, but rather a certain way to live in time. And so this parable right out of the beginning is about how we live and experience life when we've moved into the kingdom of heaven, when we've chosen the king. Wherever God is ruling and reigning. Now, in this morning, in this church, we have declared that God rules and reigns. And it's my hope that you personally have declared that God rules and reigns in your life. That you have chosen a good and kind and generous and loving king to submit your life to. There is a God and I'm not him. There is a king and I'm not him. I am not the king of my heart. I'm not the king of my life. But there is a God and I'm not him. And so this passage goes on to say that there is the kingdom of heaven is like, the simile, like Heidi just pointed out, is like, and my text that I read here is like a merchant. In the Greek, it actually says a man, and then it implies that that man is a merchant. It's really unassuming. It's really short, two verses, 
and it's, it's two verses to try to encapsulate this concept of the entire kingdom of heaven and what it's like when you're living in it. So Jesus doesn't actually try to get the whole picture, right? He's giving us a small, this is one slice of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like, when I go to Disneyland, going to Disneyland, I wish I had a good simile. I was just about to make one up. Going to Disneyland is like, right? And you could be talking about waiting in line for three hours to get on one ride, or you could say that the kingdom of heaven is like the ride, right? It's, it's like going to, going to Disneyland. It's just amazing. It's so much fun. Or it's really hot and stressful. Or it's, we, take, we have all these different experiences, and this is one. The kingdom of heaven is like, and it's like a merchant. A merchant who is looking for fine pearls. This man, the merchant, um, he was focused on a singular thing. He had a job. He was a dealer in pearls. This is what he did. In fact, in the first century, pearls were actually the most costly gem that you could purchase. It is way more costly than silver or gold. It's said that for every 1,000 pearls, uh, clams, oysters, whatever those things are called, those little, these things, for every 1,000 of these that are opened, maybe one pearl would be marketable, would be sellable. So they're very, very rare. And in this day and age, way back when, first century, people had to dive, free dive off of boats into deep water to get them. They didn't have scuba gear. They didn't have oyster farming. They didn't have any of that technology. So they had to to dive down to find and to harvest these oysters. So they're even more rare and more costly because people are risking their lives to get them. And then, so we're looking at first century Israel, right? This is where this parable is being spoken. Jesus is talking in first century Israel, 2,000 years ago. The pearls had to come either all the way from Egypt or all the way from India. Now, these places are very, very far away. So these had to have people go dive into the deep water, pull them out, harvest them, find one pearl out of a thousand that was marketable. Then those had to be collected. They had to be put on camels or some other form of beast of burden and to travel across long deserts to get to Israel in the first century. These things are extremely rare and extremely valuable. In fact, here's a picture of what a lot of pearls look like. You see, they just look like little rocks or chunks, but every now and then you get them and they're round and they're shiny and they would roll. So a pearl of great price would be an exceptionally large pearl of exceptional beauty and color. They're very, very rare. This merchant was a man who was on a mission to find extremely rare, exceptional pearls beautiful pearls. And he was good at it. It says he was a merchant. His whole livelihood was focused on finding these pearls and selling them. So he had expensive, very wealthy clientele. He would often be selling probably to Roman rulers. He would be selling to the wealthiest of society. It's said that most people in Judah in this day and age probably would not have even seen a pearl. That's how rare these were. And they were so valuable, it's one of the emperors, Emperor Vitalis of Rome, sold one of his mother's pearls to finance an entire war. So now you can understand the value of these little things that he's looking for. He is good at finding them, and he is good at selling them. He's made his whole life and his whole business around this, this business of selling things. He's probably not very popular because biblically merchants weren't. They were the used car salesmen of their day right? These are the people that you don't want to be around at at a party because they're trying to get you into a new car, 
right? Or they're trying to get you into their Amway ladder or it, what, what are, what's a, Amway is what my mom did when I was little. What do they even sell nowadays? Pampered Chef or uh, Cincy. What are those Cincy smelly things? Like, we're going to get you into the pyramid scheme of these things. It was a really good salesman, and it was selling these things and making a living out of it. That's why he's been a merchant. He's not just a dabbler, but he's a merchant. He's made a business around this thing. He's very good, and now he's on a hunt for the finest and largest pearls because he knows he can sell them. The man sought after fine pearls because he knew that his high-end clientele would be buying them. But something happens. He's, off, he's looking, he's seeking these things, but he finds a pearl that is so beautiful, that is so large, that is so gorgeous, that it changes everything for him. He is no longer looking to sell this pearl, but he's just looking to buy it. I need to have that. That is so beautiful. I must possess this. It is so exceedingly beautiful that it stops the man in his tracks and it absolutely changes his life forever. He wasn't a collector. It doesn't say the man was a collector of pearls. He was a merchant of pearls. He buys and sells them for a profit. And he found this pearl and he wasn't sure he could afford it. But he couldn't give it up either. And he had to go and sell everything so that he could go get it. It's very unusual. I mean, this, this, this little point of this little two-line verse, should, it was like the people that were hearing this would go, what? This man who was fabulously wealthy was so taken by this one object that he's going to give it all up? It's exactly what he did. His love of this pearl was so great that it changed his entire life. When he went and sold everything, he could no longer say, I'm a merchant of pearls. All he could say is, I'm an owner of this one pearl. He could no longer say, I buy and sell pearls because he didn't have the capital to buy pearls. He sold everything. He sold, the text actually implies that it's not just he sold his business, but he sold his home. He sold his assets. He sold his family's clothing. He sold, his, he sold everything away in order to get this one pearl because he knew that it had extravagant worth. Imagine being a part of that family, right? You know, you're, you're, imagine being the teenage daughter of the pearl merchant. You know, you've got a pretty sweet life because dad's buying and selling really expensive things to really expensive clientele. And you got money all the time. You can go out to eat at Humble Burger whenever you want. You know, you got a nice furniture. You got a nice house. You go to a nice school. Things are pretty sweet for you. And one day dad comes home and he's got this guy with him who's going around and he's valuing everything in the house, Right? And they have an auction on Saturday. And you're like, what are you doing? And your bed is being sold. You know, to the, and, and, and the dad is out there haggling over prices. He's like, well, there goes the bed. He just sold my bed. And then the couch and mom is standing up. I love that couch. And the daughter, you know, well, you got a pretty good price at it. Yeah, your dad's pretty good at selling stuff, but he's selling everything. Oh, there goes my mother's pearl necklace that she gave me when I was little. And now it's gone. And he sells everything. Everything. And the, this family just watches the, their whole livelihood. And, and the wife is probably, okay, well, I guess now we've got to live with my mother because he sold everything. What's he even doing? I don't understand this love, this one pearl. And he sold his business. He sold his livelihood. He sold his home. He sold all everything. Everything. And then he has to go out and get a new job. It changed his entire identity, not just some small thing. He wasn't just now holding a beautiful pearl. But everything changed because of it. 
It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. But that's how this parable goes. That's how this story that Jesus tells goes, this parable about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who went out and sold everything he had to buy one pearl. This is what it's like. Now, it says this is how this is the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's not saying that the kingdom of heaven is like the pearl. And it's not saying that the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant. It's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this whole little crazy mixed up story with no ending to it. It's like this whole thing. It's not, it's not just one piece of it. It's a way of living where we live on this weird line between foolishness and wisdom, and it's blurred where recklessness looks like good priorities sometimes, and, and it just throws everything into a tumult that we have to try to figure out which way is up. When asked what the most important thing in life is in the kingdom of God, we say it's the pearl. This man valued the pearl. He just felt fortunate to have it. This whole mixed-up story is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not like allegory, like when you read the books of Narnia. You guys know the Narnia books from C.S. Lewis? So whenever you read the Narnia books in C.S. Lewis, and you read about this lion who mysteriously appears and disappears and who commands things, and when he roars, everything falls down. Like, whenever you read about that lion, that's Jesus. Right? And when you read about Peter and Lucy and Edmund and, and all these children, they're the children of God, and they're the kings and queens that rule, and that's us. And when you read about the white witch, we're talking about evil. We're talking about Satan. It's an allegory. It's a one-for-one. One. But this parable isn't a one-for-one. One. It's not one part of it matches one thing, but the whole of it is how we experience life in the kingdom of God. So what I want to do is pause right there. If our whole experience in the kingdom of God is like a merchant who sought after fine pearls and who, when he found one of exceeding value, went out and sold everything and purchased it, if that is what the kingdom of God is like, I want to take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what part of that image, what part of that little story is supposed to be speaking to you this morning. What is it that the parable, that story, grabs and, and does in your heart? Or if you don't understand, I don't understand why this parable is this parable. God, how am I calloused? How am I plugged my ears? How have I, my eyes been closed to what you're speaking in this little story? So we're going to take just a minute of quiet and allow the Spirit to speak to you in that, from this story. Can we do that together? All right, let's do that. Amen. So I want to 
finish this this morning. I'm going to be done early. I told you I wrote this on the couch while I was feeling like fevery one minute and freezing the next. So hopefully the things that I brought to you this morning make a little bit of sense and the Spirit is speaking through it. But as I was reading and pondering and noticing this parable, um, and I took the time to just silently reflect on it, uh, it, it occurred to me that because the kingdom of heaven is like this whole story, not just one piece that parables are actually a lot more like diamonds than they are stories. Uh, when Heidi and I were engaged and I went to go buy an engagement ring, I learned an awful lot about diamonds because I had to go buy one, right? I had to go purchase one. So you got to learn something about it. And here's what I learned. I learned that diamonds are graded on cut and clarity and some other word that I can't remember that begins with C. It's three C's. Cut? Carrots. Carrots. Cut, clarity, carrots. And uh, what that means is, you know, first of all, the clarity, does it have any imperfections in it? So if you look at it, do you see mess in there? The second thing is the size, the carrots, how big it is. But the cut is one of the ways that they value it. And what that means is they take a raw stone and they cut what's called facets on it. And it's the facets that are cut into the stone that give it its fire, that give it its life. When, it, when you put it, when we take it and go get it cleaned, and then we go down to the jeweler and they clean it and they hand it back to her and they got just the light, right, light, right, light, right lighting, try that four times fast, the right lighting in the room, that thing is like on fire on her finger, right? It just sparkles and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. It's the facets that create that. And the parables have facets to them. So when the kingdom of heaven is like this whole story, suddenly all the pieces of the story are interchangeable to different people and different things. And when you look at them from a different light, it sparkles. So as I was looking at this, I realized, man, I needed to know that in this story, in the kingdom of heaven, when I've submitted myself to God's rule and reign, whether I have or haven't, I'm the pearl. You're the pearl. What? Yeah, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the merchant who is out seeking after fine gems, fine pearls. And when he finds that one beautiful pearl, he sells everything. He trades heaven to come to earth. He takes his life and sacrifices it on a cross. You are the pearl. Oh, my goodness power of a story. We hear stories all the time, right? We have stories from our life that tell us what our worth is. We have stories from our life, from our childhood, from our work experiences, from our, how we've interacted with our neighbors or our husbands and our wives. They all tell us something of our worth, of our value as an individual, as a human being. Some of us believe that our value comes only from our work, so we work and we work and we work and we work. Some of us believe our value only comes from our degrees. So we work hard on our degrees and we earn good grades and we earn degree after degree after degree. There are people that are addicted to getting degrees in this town. It's crazy. All sorts of things that define our value. And there are stories that we tell ourselves. We get into a circumstance and we find ourselves behaving certain ways. And behind that is this story about our value of what we believe about ourselves, and we tell ourselves these stories. But this story tells us something radically different. This story says something of God's love for you. You are a pearl 
of great price. And it's not what you've done. It's not your earning. It's not your working. It's not anything that you could do or be. And it's because you exist as a human being, tenderly loved by the hand of God, cared for, seen. You're not anonymous. You know, we want to go through life. We want to be anonymous. Oh, don't. When some people come to church. We're a small church. I just gave that away for those who are listening online. We're not a big church. And they come in and they're like, oh, it's really small. People are going to talk to me here. And that's uncomfortable, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's awkward and uncomfortable. We're small, but we're mighty, right? We're a family. We're a church that is, is we're just, it's great. But here you are noticed and seen. God notices and sees you whether you are here or not. God can see you in your study listening to this online. God can see you in your classroom. God sees you at Starbucks. God sees you driving in your car. Just be forewarned. God sees you driving in your car. You know, like a little bit of road rage going on. Jesus is there too. And even in those moments, even in their worst moments, even in the moments where you think, I'm not seen, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who has gone out seeking after pearls of great price. And he saw you. And he gave up everything for you. You were the pearl. This morning, if I've just challenged one of your life stories, I want you to know that wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. And that God loves you so much that he sees you as a pearl of great price and he would give everything just for you. Thankfully, he didn't have to give everything just for you. He gave everything for all of us. We are the pearl of great price. Here this morning... God loves you. I don't just say that at the end of my sermons because I think it's nice. So many of us go through our days and we don't hear, I love you. We don't hear it because we're not with our parents, you know. Our parents are the only people that say that regularly, right? Mom and dad always say, I love you. We're not with mom and dad. Mom and dad are gone. Mom and dad are even dead. We, we're with people that, that want us for something that we have to give. And so we say at the end of our services, God loves you. Because he does. And you need to hear that sometime in your week. And this may be the only time you hear it. So just receive that this morning, would you? Just like let that sit in your heart. God loves you. It's not a trite statement. It's truth. And so do Heidi and I. That's just the bonus, you know? It's like not even the cherry on top. Maybe, maybe I don't even know. Like God's love is the cherry. and We're like the stem on the cherry. We love you too. And now you're thinking, oh, he's done. But I'm not. <laughs> yeah. How do you know the sermon's over? I, there's got to be a joke there. There isn't. I don't have one. I've got to come up with one. How do you know the sermon's over? I, I don't know. That's the, that's the joke. I don't know either. Um, anyway, so you need to know in this story that you are the pearl, but it's a facet. That's one facet. You also need to know that Jesus is also the pearl. Oh, man, that just like, whoop, we just flipped the whole story on its head again. Kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was in search of fine pearls. We're all looking for something. We're all looking for something. We're all seeking after something. Sometimes, you know, we, we get into life and we really want a vacation and we work really hard and we, we sacrifice things. I'm not going to, Heidi and I are really good at this. Okay, Heidi is really good at this. We want to go on vacation. And I'm like, I want to go on vacation. She's like, all right. And I'm like, I want to go out to eat. She's like, no, you don't. You want to go out on vacation. And so we don't go out to eat. We put money aside so we can go on vacation. And then we get to go out on vacation. 
Some of us are like, I want a new car. And so we save money and we set money aside to go out and get a new car. Some of us go out and get $40,000 loans, but that's a whole nother subject. We have an object that we want, an object of our affection, a thing that's captured our attention, and we go out and we sacrifice things to get it. So we all understand it from that perspective. If this story is truth, which I believe it is, the kingdom of heaven is like the pearl. And we are like the merchants. We've gone out and we've looked for something. This morning, you were being introduced to the merchant. And you were also being told how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. It's something that is worth our everything. God's love, his grace, his mercy, the things that are new each day and every morning that define us in a way that nothing else in this world can, that fires our life in a way that nothing else in this world can, that gives us a high that nothing in this world can, is so valuable that the normal response to people who have found this thing is to sell everything. It's to give it all away. So to have this one thing, it changes our entire identity. We are no longer merchants. We're now just possessors of the pearl. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are now free in Jesus because we have him, because we've given everything to receive him. That's the normal response. It's a normal perspective change. Our values change. Our priorities change. And it's not painful. That's the crazy thing. When people hear like, oh, you got to give everything, sell everything to follow Jesus. It's not painful. The parable that comes before this talks about a poor man who was working in a field and he was digging around and his, his, his shovel hit a trunk and he opens up the trunk and he finds, you know, Blackbeard's treasure hidden inside of it. And he's like, closes the lid and looks, closes the lid and looks, closes the lid, buries it again. And then it says, and in his joy, he ran home and he sold everything to purchase the field, to get the treasure. In his joy, the first parable, it's the same thing, going after this this treasure of incomparable value, but it it has this little nuance. It's about joy. It's not painful to give up these things to receive this. It wasn't painful for the merchant to sell everything. The people in his family are going, you're crazy. He's like, no, this thing is worth all of it. It doesn't hurt. it's, It's like Gollum with the ring, right? My precious. They had to bring Gollum in somehow. They joyfully give up everything just to grasp it, just to get a little piece of it. Later in the book of Matthew, we encounter this man who was rich, very rich, very fabulously rich. Would have been on the TV show Lives of the Rich and Famous. He would have been on, you know, he's the guy driving the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis. He's got all kinds of money, but he's also very religious. He also is very generous. He gives. He's kind. He loves his neighbor. He doesn't, you know, talk bad about his mom and daddy. He doesn't murder people. That's always a bonus. You know, he, he follows the rules of the Old Testament law to the letter. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And he sums it all up, just like Jesus would. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, if you've done this, then you've entered the kingdom of heaven. He's like, I've done all of these things. What else must I do? Because clearly something's missing. And Jesus says to him, take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor. And the man goes away. And Jesus is sad. 
because the price was too high. The pearl is of a great value. Jesus is worth everything. It's worth everything. So the question that this parable asks us is, what are you valuing this morning? What is of higher value than the kingdom of heaven? What is of higher value than the king? Lastly, one more thing. You need to know that the people right around you are also pearls. You are the pearl of great price. That Jesus is the pearl of great price. And your next door neighbor who knows nothing about God is the pearl of great price. So now this parable is asking us something else entirely. This parable is not just asking us, what are you willing to get or to give in order to receive the kingdom of heaven? What are you holding of higher value? It's not just telling you that God values you more than his own life. It's saying, what are you willing to give in order to reach and to receive the pearl of your neighbor that they may be in the kingdom of heaven as well? You see, with God, no pain was too great. No price was too big. That's why we talk about God's love so much. But that love isn't just settled on you as a pearl. That love is focused on the people who are not in this room. That love is focused on the people who are not in this nation. That love is focused on the people who are not in our religion. That that love is focused on people who have no religion. Or who are believing all sorts of things about who God is or what he wants from them. How he wants them to behave. It's his love and it's free. And God values people who hate him so much that he would give his life for them. And he's asking us, what are you willing to give up to go and get those pearls? Is no pain too great? Is no cost too high? We worry about our image. We worry about our reputation. We worry about uh, First Amendment rights. We worry about uh, whether we, we offend people. And God asks, like, are these things that you value so much, your rights, your, your, your image amongst other people, peace, where there's, you know, people are going to be offended. Are you willing to sacrifice those things to get at that one pearl? Are you willing to sacrifice that for that one pearl? Are you willing to go out and hunt and to seek and to look until you find that one pearl? Do you have eyes that are seeking We collect people all around us. We get them all the time. But which one of those people is God like highlighting for you? Like Heidi, when she glowed when we were first dating, says, this is the the one. This is the one that I want you to go after. This is the pearl that I value and I want you to value too. We don't talk about evangelism, which we're going to talk about more next week, because we're afraid the church is going to die out. We don't talk about evangelism because we see the church in the United States shrinking and not growing, and the church in the world. We don't talk about evangelism because we're concerned that we don't have enough people here on a Sunday morning. We talk about evangelism because we're talking about being a merchant who is seeking after fine pearls that God greatly values and that we are called to have an entire perspective and life change in order to go after. This part scares the pants off of me. 
I understand giving up the, some of the things that I value in order to go after the things that God values. I understand that my priorities are different than his. I understand that the stories that I hear in my life aren't the stories that God is saying and that he loves me way more than anybody else here can. But to say that I am the merchant and I am going to sell everything to go after this one pearl that God places in my life just scares me to death. It's the best thing. But I kind of hold closely to some things. And God is slowly prying my fingers off of some of those. And I'm praying this morning that God slowly pries your fingers off of some of those things. And he's just going, come on, I love you. I love them. Will you just let go? Will you just let go of it? So this morning what I want to do is I want to ask you to pray for the pearl. Will you do that? Pray for the pearl. Pray for the pearl of great price. Go seeking after it. Go looking for it. Go look after the one that God treasures. And then be willing to give up whatever it is that has to be given up so that you may introduce them to the other pearl of great price, Jesus. You guys are really quiet. You're like really pondering. Who is my pearl? Oh my gosh, now you've got a target, right? Now you've got something to go look for. Now you've got something to seek after this week. The pearl of great price. So are you seeking Jesus, the pearl of great price? And are you seeking your neighbor, the pearl of great price? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I just summed up the entire sermon in Jesus's simple words. Love God wholeheartedly. Love your neighbor a little better. Find the pearl of greatest price. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us the pearl that we are to seek after in this world. The pearl of our neighbor. God, I pray that we would learn to love them just a little better. That we would, we would learn to, to give things up, to let go of the things that we need to let go of so that we can love them well. And so that we can introduce them to you. Jesus, I pray that you would make us effective for your kingdom, that we would be like the merchants in this story, going out and selling everything to gather pearls into your kingdom. And God, I pray that we would not do that out of a sense of guilt, that we would not do this trying to earn something from you, but God, just because we love people like you love people. Jesus, would you just put your spirit in our hearts this morning, that we would receive your love, that we would find our value in you, and that we would value other people in the way that you do. God, may we go after you with all that we have, selling everything we have to receive you. God, we thank you for this crazy little story, this crazy two verses that just wrecks us, that messes us up. God, some of us don't know which end is up this morning (laughs) at the end of this, and I just pray that you would give us comfort and give us grace as we learn to walk in the truth of this story. Jesus, be the king of our hearts, be the king of this church. And God, may we carry your rule and reign with us into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll, I'll end with this. God loves you. Pearls, God loves you. And so do Heidi and I. Amen. Hey, meet and greet one another. Don't go home without getting a new name today. Doug, amen. <laughs>